You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. Morning, everyone. Thank you. That's very encouraging. Um, I'm going to pray before, um, before I start. Oh, Lord Jesus, we welcome you here with us this morning. We welcome your Holy Spirit. I have prepared these words to speak, but we want to hear you this morning in our hearts. Would you prompt us? Would you challenge us? And would we have the ears and the eyes open to hear what you would say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. So in this series so far, we've heard about God as creator and God as teacher. Today, I'm speaking about God as lover, lover who longs for confession. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Psalm 32, so you can get that ready. It will come up on the screen. But before we get into that psalm, we're just going to have a little look um, about the type of love that we're talking about this morning. And we've already heard a bit about that type of love through our worship songs and the words brought as well. Let's be clear about the type of love we're talking about when we talk as, of God as lover. We're not talking about a romantic love or a sexual love. We're not talking about a brotherly love. We're not talking about a love between parent and siblings or between brother and sister. We're talking about a love that is the very nature of God. And God wants us to experience this love. God desires and pursues us with this love, but he wants us to come to him to receive, to receive it. He desires closeness and intimacy with us, the lover of our very soul. Now, the Bible is full of verses about God's love, and I've got a few out. Again, before we jump into that psalm, we're going to look at a few other verses about the sort of love that we are talking about. So in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, there's a verse that says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So we know that the love we're talking about is eternal. It's ageless. It's never ending. And it's unfailing. We've been loved since before the day we were born. Before the earth was formed. It's a love that knows no end. That won't run out that won't run dry. It's a constant supply of love. And this love longs to be near each one of us personally. It's a passionate love. It's a deep, all-knowing love, a love for our soul. Now, in John, in the New Testament, probably the most famous um, Bible verse about God's love, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we know from this that this love we are talking about is universal. It's for the whole world. It's completely inclusive and available to everyone. This love is not just an impulse generated by our feelings This love isn't just about a feeling. It acts. This love acts. He gave. This love is sacrificial. It's costly. It's so generous. 
In Romans, Paul writes about this love. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can separate us from this love. It's unconditional, and it doesn't depend on what we say or do. Nothing we can imagine, not even death, can separate us from this love. It is so powerful. And as I describe it, and I did use my thesaurus as I was looking up how to describe this, this love, and everything I say just feels like I'm understating it. It is so big. This love is freely given and freely received. It has no conditions attached. So how do we achieve, how do we get this love? How do we achieve that close and intimate relationship with God? We have to choose to draw near, to draw close. We have to choose to say yes. We need to spend time with our creator. We need to listen to him. We need to speak to him. And we need to speak out confessions of truth from our heart. We need to be vulnerable with him. We need to humble ourselves before him. Let's read Psalm 32. It's going to come up on the screen as well. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now, David is credited with writing at least half of the Psalms, including this one. And who was David? Well, he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But his biography is a little colorful, to say the least. He started off as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight sons, a talented musician and poet. And he became the God-appointed king of Israel, slaying the giant warrior Goliath when he was only a boy and later defeating many other of Israel's enemies. However, amongst his achievements... 
there, were, there was terrible sin. And this sounds worse than a soap opera. He essentially, he watched a woman taking a bath and desired her. He committed adultery with her, which then led to her falling pregnant. He tried to cover this up. Whoops. And when that didn't work, he had her husband killed. Now, from the account in the second book of Samuel, it's really clear that what he did was evil in the sight of the Lord. It says that. It was evil in the sight of the Lord. He disobeyed God in other ways and was not always the best father to his children. However, he was still described as a man after God's own heart. I believe he knew God's love, that love that I was describing earlier. He was a man after God's own heart because he had complete faith in God for his protection and future. He was a man after God's own heart because he loved God's law. He meditated on it. He knew it had the power to change him. He was a man after God's own heart because he had an attitude of gratitude. In every season of his life, whatever was going on, he was thankful to God. And he rejoiced in his name. He was a man after God's own heart because he was truly repentant. He confessed his sin before God. He didn't take God's grace for granted. And he truly repented of his sins. He wanted a relationship with God that was intimate and close. And to achieve that, he confessed his heart to God. Now, in a human relationship, if you're trying to get to know someone or you're deepening a relationship with someone, you put your trust in them. You spend time with them. You are thankful for them. And you are vulnerable with them. You share things. You confess your heart. So are you after God's own heart? Are you doing those things to deepen your relationship with him? Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to be asking you four questions this morning. Um, Two of them require some reflection. Uh, So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will be prompting us throughout uh, this morning's talk. The other two, I hope, will actually prompt a response. And we hope to provide space for that this morning as well. So the first question, as we look back at Psalm 32, is, are you groaning? Now, David describes in this psalm two paths. He describes two paths or choices. He describes um, a path of confession and a path of silence. And and at the start, he clearly describes the results of choosing the path of confession and experiencing God's forgiveness. Blessed is he. Blessed essentially means happy. So David tells us that the one whose sins and transgressions are forgiven is happy. Blessed is he whose, spirit, whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now sin can deceive you into choosing the path of silence. You can be deceived into thinking that your sin is not that much of a big deal. So you can carry on with it. It can become easier to commit. It can lead to more sin. Well, all sin is a big deal. Because whoever it might affect 
it's a direct rebellion against God. You can be deceived into thinking that God doesn't know about your sin. Well, God knows everything. He wants us to come to him with our confession. You can be deceived into thinking that your sin doesn't affect anyone else. Well, unconfessed sin can weaken the body of Christ. It can be damaging to the church. David describes what it's like when the path of silence is chosen, and it sounds awful. My bones wasted away. I groaned all day long. My strength was sapped. Are you groaning under the weight of unconfessed sin? When sins are not confessed, there can be a physical pain in our bodies. John Flower last week brought a word um, for those who are feeling old and weary in their faith. Well, are you feeling the weight of his hand on you? He won't force you, but will lead you to confession if you let him. He wants you to be able to look him in the eye with a clear conscience, to have intimacy with him. My second question then may prompt, hopefully prompt an action, and we will be coming back to this question a little later before we take communion. Will you confess how simple it is to experience that closeness with God and be forgiven? In verse 5, David tells us how. Acknowledge sin and do not cover it up. It's as simple as that. We can't cover up anything anyway because God already knows it. But we can try and hide it. We can try and excuse it. God knows everything. While I was um, preparing for this morning, I was reminded of um, some of the children I, I teach in a primary school just up the road. So I was reminded of some of the children that I teach And sometimes I have to deal with the behavior incidents that might happen in the playground. And I have to, you know, go and fetch some of these children to talk to about what what happened and what went wrong. And I was just reminded of how different children can react to that in really different ways. See if you recognize yourself in any of these. Um, Typically, there are a few who will stand in front of me, won't make eye contact with me. And will try and find every excuse under the sun for their actions. They will, they will blame the other children involved. They will try and squirm out of it. They will justify what they've, tried, what they've done. They will co- even compare their behavior to other children to make it look like they're, they're not as bad. They might sulk. They might refuse to say sorry. How often do we behave like that before God? There are also those children who've worked out that the quicker they explain to me, the quicker that they say sorry, the quicker they can be out to play again. I wonder if anyone is like that. Maybe you, you keep a short account with God, but actually you're cheapening his grace that's available to you. And then there are the children who come running to me, sobbing their eyes out, sobbing their hearts out. I'm so sorry. This is what I did wrong. I'm so sorry. Before I've even gone to fetch them. No, I'll be honest, that never happens. Um, But that's what God desires from us. He does. 
He will forgive the guilt of your sin and remove your transgressions for good. As far as the east is from the west, which are words that we sometimes sing in a song. They're words actually from another psalm uh, that David wrote. That's how far he will remove that transgression from us. To confess and repent, we must view our sin the way God views it. Rebellion against him. Now, intimacy with the lover of our soul requires complete honesty. And this can be difficult. If you've been let down in a human relationship, if you've, been, if you've had your trust betrayed by someone, it can be difficult to be that vulnerable and that honest. In verse 7, we read of God's loving nature toward those who choose the path of confession. He protects you. He's your hiding place. When you confess, it's that private moment between you and God. He is not going to go and tell the rest of the class what you confess to him. He will not put you to shame. He wants to surround you with songs of deliverance. In verse 8, we're reminded of God as teacher. As Pete spoke to us about last week, I will instruct, teach, counsel, and watch over you. He's your personal tutor, longing to show you the way. And after deliverance, he wants to guide you. So my third question is, are you a mule? A mule is a cross between a, do- a, a dorse, no, a horse and a donkey. It's a dorse. And um, typically, it is stubborn and stupid as well. Um, so much so that it must be controlled with a bit, a piece of metal in its mouth and a harness over its head. Even being led to, to shelter or to safety or to food, he doesn't want to be led. Is that you? Think about it. Being a mule is choosing the path of silence and will only lead back to the groaning we read of, we read of earlier. Now, sometimes that horse's bridle can actually become a bit of an ornament of decoration. It can have colorful feathers. It can have shiny metal and, and leather. And it's as if the very sign of those animals' degradation, the very fact that they need to be controlled and pulled to the left and to the right, actually becomes a source of pride. Now, in the same way, it can be true that a person becomes proud of his or her rebellion against God, even boast of it. The way to forgiveness and intimacy with God is through confession and repentance. The way to that intimate relationship with God is through humility. Don't be like a mule. Whether this is the first time that you've taken a step closer or whether it's the umpteenth time, he longs for you. In verse 10, David tells us that the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. A bit like those songs of deliverance surrounding. Unfailing love. 
the everlasting love which nothing can separate us from. How do you know that this unfailing love is really for you? Well, you trust him. The Bible says that God loves you. The Bible says that you are never out of his sight. The Bible says that he cares about every detail of your life, that he gives you the capacity to enjoy, that he has good plans for you, that he forgives you, and that he is lovingly patient with you. God loves you infinitely more than you can possibly imagine. So stop being stubborn. Stop being so attached to being rebellious and accept his unfailing love. The whole Bible is a love story about God wooing and pursuing us, his bride. And ever since the first rebellion in the Garden of Eden, God's response was not, what have you done? It was, where are you? God is a lover and a liberator, and surrendering to him brings joy. Now, if you've been counting up the questions, there is one more question left. But before we get to the very last question, we're going to just spend a little bit of time responding to the questions I've asked so far this morning. And the question which required action was, will you confess? So Sam and the band are going to play a song shortly. And I just want each person here to feel like they have the time and space to respond in a private time of confession just between you and God. Now, as they play, you might want to kneel down. You might want to stand up. You might want to stay seated. You might want to find a different place in the hall. I'd like you to feel welcome and to feel very relaxed to do whatever uh, makes you feel comfortable so that you can spend the next few moments in this intimate response with your Father, God. I'd like you to reflect on what God has said to you this morning and spend time in his presence. Now, after a few moments, after the song, Pete and Sandra will lead us in taking communion, which they will explain. And after which, I'll also be asking my fourth and final question of the morning. So let's come before the lover of our souls. Let's confess, receive his forgiveness, draw close, and receive his instruction. Whatever the Spirit has been prompting you to confess this morning, just spend some time now.